It's good to be here. Um, <clears throat> just our midweek pit stop, right? Coming together, getting refreshed, sitting at the Lord's feet and desiring to hear from Him. And, and uh, that's what we pray, that we would indeed uh, hear from Him and how it is that He desires to speak to us and that we would pay attention to, um, to how the, the Holy Spirit gives us understanding and we apply God's Word as we continue to to draw near to the Lord and uh, and learn from Him, and so um, <clears throat> you know, this evening we're in First uh, Samuel chapter thirteen. So please turn with me in your Bibles there. First Samuel chapter thirteen is where we're at this evening. Um, while you're going there, um, this this weekend we have the youth retreat, and they're taking off on Friday. They'll be back on Sunday. And uh, so I just wanted to remind you about that and make sure that you're praying uh, for our kids going up the hill, um, that, that uh, they're open to receiving whatever it is that the Lord has for them, that it's a, a genuine desire for the things of the Lord. I, I know it's fun to go up there and hang out with the rest of the kids, and, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's exciting to do that. Um, <clears throat> you know, and, and there can be lifelong friendships that are developed at something like this. But quite frankly, that's not what they're going up to do. They're going up the hill to meet with the Lord, to spend time with Him, to hear from Him. And that's really what we ought to be praying for, that um, they, they individually uh, realize that they're the ones that need that personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with the Lord, that mommy and daddy's faith isn't what's going to get them into heaven not even attendance in church, not even being, you know, um, someone who, who's, who's pursuing heaven with good morals. You know, if that were the case, then Jesus died of no avail. It was, it was empty. It was for no purpose whatsoever. And so, um, you know, we ought to pray for our kids, especially as they grow up in the church, uh, that they come to realize that, uh, that they need to be broken before the Lord. They need, that, that, they need the realization that they're sinners, and, uh, and that their sin separates them from God the Father. And it's through a, a surrendered life to Jesus Christ that they may come to know salvation. And, uh, and that's, so that's what we pray for, for, for salvation, for a true uh, fruit that comes from that salvation. And we see it uh, evident uh, you know, in their lives. So please pray for them as they go up the hill. Um, so by now you should be in 1 Samuel chapter 13, right? All right, 1 Samuel chapter 13. Um, so, <clears throat> last week we had our week of fasting and prayer, and uh, so the week before is uh, where we uh, learned about 1 Samuel chapter 12, and how it was that Samuel was addressing the Israelites. He had, um, uh, he had addressed the, the Israelites. He was, um, in, in a way, I know some, sometimes it's titled uh, Samuel's Farewell Address to the Israelites, but he, he's, he didn't depart quite yet. In fact, we're going to learn about some things that, uh, that Samuel had a part of um, in, in uh, his affairs with Saul here in a few moments. Um, he also was the one who was called to go and anoint David as the second king of Israel. And so Samuel, was, he hadn't left, and so... This was only addressing them in basically passing along the leadership of Israel from him over to the actual king who was anointed um, and was ordained by God, as the Israelites had requested. 
So he did address them, though. He, he wanted to make sure that they understood that, um, you know, he, was, he, was, uh, he had a clear conscience. There's nothing that he had done against them. Um, he told them that, hey, listen, I haven't defrauded you. I've treated you right. Uh, I hadn't stolen from you. In other words, uh, I, have, I haven't oppressed you in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he hadn't taken any bribes so that he would be blinded in the things that he was, um, that, that were coming before him as far as the different situations were concerned. Um, and he also just basically put them on the stand and said, hey, listen, you're testifying before the Lord. If there's anything that you have against me, then uh, do so. Then go ahead and bring that charge against me. Um, and, um, but nothing came. Nothing came his way. And so, you know, we, we can learn from that how it is that we, too, should be able to speak like Samuel did. You know, that as far as the people are concerned, you know, that there's no sin. There's nothing left dangling there. There's, there's nothing that hasn't been taken care of, that, that um, hasn't been corrected, you know. So it's, it's all there. And we ought to be uh, able to do the very same thing. Um, so, you know, Samuel said the Lord is witness. We should always consider that, that the Lord is witness before us, uh, whether in thought or deed, um, in, in every, any and every um, interaction that we have with others, um, even in our secret place when we're all by ourselves. We should, we should guard these things <laughs> called minds and the thoughts that ruminate in there, that, that bang around in our heads. We really should. We should take those thoughts captive, as the word tells us, and submit them to the lordship of Christ, that, that they, they would be given to him. It's kind of like, um, you know, taking something that perhaps um, uh, previously we allowed to roam freely and, and, and said, no, we're going to take that captive. And I'm going to see how it matches up to uh, God's word. You ever done that? You know, some thought, thoughts that are going through your mind. It's interesting because many of those thoughts, when you submit them to the truth of God's word, and they're like, oh, they don't stand. <laughs> I guess I shouldn't keep them. I shouldn't continue going down that path because they're no good. In, in fact, l- let me share something with you. I know I oftentimes um, quote Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which by now you should have it memorized, right? I say it enough, right? Do not be anxious about anything. You, know, you all know, right? But right after that, in Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, that's the first thing, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, Whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. So as you think about those things, the only way that you're going to think about those things is if you know how to identify those things according to the word of God. That's why it's good to be in the word. Right? Think about these things because what happens is as you think, so it'll come out of your mouth. You know, whatever's happening in here in your thought life, in your heart, it's going to come out of your mouth. You know, out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. So, you know, so the Lord is witness. So we ought to take care of this um, up here, you know, the thoughts. Um, And so no one spoke up and he had made sure that everything was fine. He also told them that their request for a king was, was evil. 
And um, so he put that before them uh, because in essence, what they were doing was they were rejecting the lordship of God as king, as their king, and they wanted a king just like the other nations. And so he was telling them, hey, this was evil. And, and I, I was displeased uh, by what it was that you requested. And, and yet the Lord allowed it, you know, because, you know, he knew that they weren't rejecting him. Uh, they, the, him as Samuel, you know, they were rejecting God as king and as the Lord. And so they wanted a king just like everyone else. But Samuel also said, hey, listen, but as for me, I'm not going to stop praying for you because that would be me sinning against the Lord if I were to stop praying for you. So far be from, from me that I may stop praying for you. So even though I, that displeased me, the Lord allowed it, allowed it for his own reasons, and I'm going to keep praying for you. And so this was Samuel. He was an upright man before the Lord. He was a prophet of the Lord. And we can learn a lot from a man like this who really stood on the truth of God's word. What he heard, he would speak, and no more, no less. And uh, come what may, that's, that's what he gave he gave to Saul, he gave, gave to the Israelites, and so we see that before us as we learned a couple weeks ago. So for now, Samuel fades into the background and Saul rises to the forefront as king of Israel. Uh, tonight we'll be studying the time when Saul and the Israelites are challenged by the Philistines who sent the Israelites running. Actually, this is what we're going to learn. And we'll also learn of the time when Saul became impatient with Samuel for not coming to the sacrifice. So he came he was there to, to direct the sacrifice, and so he waited seven days. That's what we're going to learn. And, and how was that he became impatient? And then what came of that? Uh, what happened um, because of his impatience? Three things. I'm going to say them now, and then I'll repeat them at the very end just to kind of bring everything together. So some lessons that we can learn, and prob I'm sure many more. But first of all, do not fear. No matter how difficult the circumstances look, do not fear. Second uh, Timothy one seven um, says this. It says for God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self control, right? And in Luke one thirty seven, um, Mary said that with God, nothing is impossible. And in Jeremiah thirty two twenty seven it says, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? So if, so if the Lord is with us, and nothing is too hard for us, then that which we are confronted with really should uh, bring us a sense of confidence, knowing that the Lord is with me. He's not going to leave me. He's not going to forsake me. And is anything too hard for the Lord? Absolutely not. So you know what? I'm not going to fear. Why? Because perfect love casts out all fear, right? That perfect love, what it means is that our object of love is the Lord, and therefore, when, when our love for Him is perfected, it's matured, we know just how faithful He is and that He's God Almighty, then there's no fear. There's no fear no matter what we're faced with. Number two, number one, do not fear. Number two, do not be anxious, uh, because it will lead to doing things in haste with disregard to God. Yeah, you experience anxiety? Are you anxious about some things, Martha? You know, you're busy. You're anxious about so much. You know, you're all over the place. Listen, that being anxious will lead to doing things in haste and with disregard to God. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything. 
some things? Maybe some things. You know, I mean, we're justified in being anxious. No, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, it's that guard that we allow the Lord to place over our hearts and our minds. And so we need to remember that. So don't be anxious. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. You know, there's an other, another word, you know. It's do not be anxious about anything. And here um, the Lord tells us in all your ways acknowledge him. Not in some of your ways, but in all your ways. Give him your whole heart. He wants your whole heart that he may do with it what he wills. And he will be faithful to perform what he has promised to you and to me. And we can stand strong on his truth. So do not fear. Do not be anxious. And thirdly, the Lord desires to use someone who is after his own heart to lead his people. You know, we can lead others to Christ. We can, we can lead others into a stronger relationship with him. We can lead others in our encouragement for them to um, get through certain things that they're experiencing in life. You know, God desires someone who's after his own heart to do those very things. You just have to be surrendered to him. Not perfect. Didn't say perfect. But is willing simply to humble himself and allow the Lord to correct and lead you. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He may, he may lift you up, bring you to that place to where he will use you. He will use you. He will use, but you need to be humble before him. And then he'll lift you up to that place. For him, it's a lifting up. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be used by the Lord. In whatever way he, he sees fit. So those three things. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can go to your word and learn these things. I pray, Father, that you would strengthen your church. That you would speak to us this evening, Lord. And that we would be surrendered to you. Anxiously awaiting, Lord, to hear from you. That we are anxious for, Lord. In a good way, Lord, we're, we're just eager to um, hear your voice, understand your word, and, uh, and know how to, to apply it to our lives, Lord, to bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 1. Saul lived for one year and then became king. And we, when he had reigned for two years over Israel... Saul chose 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and the, and the hill country of Bethel. And 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gibeah of Benjamin. The rest of the people he sent home, every man to his tent. Jonathan defeated the garrison of the Philistines that was at Geba. And the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard it. And all Israel heard it. Um, said that Saul had defeated the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become a stench to the Philistines and the people were called out to join Saul at Gilgal. So <clears throat> remember that up to this point, even though Israel had enjoyed victory over the Ammonites in chapter 11 and the kingdom of Israel had been renewed and brought together under the, under the leadership of Saul, if you remember back to that chapter, they were still under the oppression of the Philistines. So they may have had victory over the Ammonites, but, but they were still under the oppression of the Philistines. They, they were still ruling over them at this time. And here we see Saul assemble 3,000 men. Um, really, 
officially he was assembling the first army of Israel. And, and he brought together three men of valor, I mean 3,000 men of valor, and, uh, and they all gathered together at Gilgal. Now 2,000 we know from this um, were, were gathered together with Saul and then 1,000 with his son Jonathan. So they were somewhat separated, but they were all under the, the leadership of Saul ultimately. Now, <clears throat> it says here that they came up and had victory over a garrison of the Philistines. Uh, I want to just explain something because a garrison isn't something that we use in everyday language. You know, we, we don't use that um, all the time. And so is, does that mean a number of warriors? Uh, what, what exactly does that mean? Well, a garrison simply meant, means this because it doesn't, doesn't mean a, a number of Philistines. It just, mean, it just defines their job. Uh, a garrison tells us that this group was a group of the Philistine army that was assigned the duty of guarding Geba. That's all a garrison. This is a garrison, a group of soldiers that were sent for the specific purpose of guarding Geba. That's, that's all a garrison is. So the garrison of Philistines, we don't know how many they were, but they were routed by Jonathan and his thousand men. And, uh, and, and Jonathan knew victory over them. Now, Geba, we need to understand, you know, I always like to kind of point out exactly where these places are. Geba is, is north of Jerusalem and south of Bethel. So it's in between, Geba is in between, uh, and then there's Gibeah right there. And so it's right there, just north of Jerusalem is where we know it to be. So south of the Sea of Galilee. <clears throat> so what we see here is that Jonathan didn't waste any time. 3,000 men assembled, 1,000 to him. He took those 1,000 men. And, uh, and at that time, you could say that the Israelites were, were experiencing, I don't know, some kind of like um, faux peace, you know. Like on the surface, it, it looked like peace, but they were still being oppressed by the Philistines. In fact, we'll learn in a few moments um, just how oppressed they were. Uh, they, didn't, they, didn't, uh, they weren't enjoying certain... Um, certain I don't know if they had the right to do so, but they were, um, they had been removed. Uh, I mean, all the weapons had been removed from among the Israelites. So they were oppressed. They were under Philistine rule. And yet Jonathan didn't waste any time. I love this. Jonathan's like, we assembled the army. What's an army for? To guard, protect. And you know what? Right now we're under a different rule. No more. We're going after this garrison. We're taking them out. And they did. They, they took him out. So this was a loud declaration to the Philistines that they would no longer subject themselves to the rule of the Philistines. I love that. There was, there was fight in Jonathan. Now, what did this do? What, um, I remember as a kid, and I, I don't know why I love to do this, but in the corner of the eaves of my home, at certain times of the year, there, was, there were these gray things that would show up and little insects that would fly to them that are called hornets, wasps, right? So there's hornets, there's wasps. Hornets sting really bad. They hurt. But so do wasps. So do bees, you know. I, I know of all of them. And, and I remember throwing balls at them until they'd come down, you know, like, hey, you know, it was fun. How big is that thing? You know, some of them were, like, gigantic or... Right. 
But I remember one time hitting one of those nests and I started running because I saw it coming down and I started running while I fell. And I don't know, how do they know to come attack you? You know, how do they know the ball came from me, right? And I remember them coming and striking me and I got like stung several times. I went inside crying, mom, yeah, give me some milk. <laughs> what Jonathan did was he disturbed the hornet's nest. That's what he did. He rattled the serpent's den. And Israel became an abomination to the Philistines. So a stench to the Philistines is like, oh man, they, they're just like, they're rotten now. They're, just, they're, they're an abomination to us. Listen, as long as we remain in subjection to the oppressive desires of the flesh, it's kind of like living in subjection to the oppressive Philistines. When we remain in subjection to the oppressive world, to Satan, and we restrain ourselves from rising up against the enemies of God, guess what Satan does? He leaves us alone. He's like, oh, enjoy it. Oh, enjoy your sin. Enjoy your compromise. It's all good. I have you right where I want you. Compromising. And you know whose bidding you're doing? We're only doing one or the other. We're, we're not fence sitters. We're, we're not. You know, um, the Lord said, if you're lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth, right? You, you know that, you know, the, the fence that people think they are sitting on and they're sitting on the fence, it's owned by Satan. It's not, it's not owned by the Lord because <clears throat> you're, it, the Lord said, you're either for me or you're against me, right? Friendship with the world is enmity with God. There's no in-between. There's not like, uh, you know, I'll kind of stand in the middle here and I'll put one foot on one side and one foot over here and I'll be good. No, that's not how it works. That's just, that's not how it works, you know? We can't straddle the line. But if we're just compromising, Satan leaves us alone. And we think on our own minds, oh, we're fine. We're fine. See, nothing's coming against me. When nothing's coming against you, then be leery. Be leery. So how can we do this? Well, exercise as much compromise as possible. This is how we can remain in subjection to oppressive desires of the flesh, world, and Satan. This is how we can do it. Exercise as much compromise as you possibly can. And continue to test God's grace in your life by doing the things that please the flesh, the world, and Satan. That's how you can do that. If you want to live that way. Eat, drink, and be merry. Be selfish. Don't serve. Don't fellowship. Don't grow in your relationship with the Lord by neglecting to read, pray, and fellowship consistently and regularly. Compromise in your relationship with others, with your spouse. Just compromise. Now, sometimes we need a word like that to kind of snap us out of our stupor. You know, you know even the Israelites were called a stiff-necked people. Jesus called, I believe it was the Pharisees, vipers, No. Sometimes we need that, that direct talk. Like, you know what? You're acting foolishly. 
Even those who reject God's wisdom are called fools in the Bible. Fools. But when you're tired of living for a Satan and realize that it is exactly what you're doing, and you rise up against that and choose to live for the glory of God walking with Christ, then you also will stir up the hornet's nest. That's what you'll do. Jonathan knew that. And he did it anyway. When you do this, don't fear. Don't worry. I've heard people say the oddest things. I will not pray for patience. What? I remember the first time I heard this. I'm not going to pray for patience. I I guess I was ignorant at the time. I I had never heard this. Maybe you've heard this, right? I'm not going to pray for patience. Well, why not? Well, because then I'll be tested. My, My patience will be tested. Well, yeah, maybe that's what you need, you know? Maybe I need that. I I know that I'm tested in the things that need to be revealed to me that I may correct them, right? That's why there's tests in school, by the way. I know we don't like quizzes or tests, but that's why it, it it tests our comprehension. How much have we retained? Do we really understand what we've been going over? You know, I, I have one son in high school and, you know, He's not a lover of tests or quizzes, but it it does test his comprehension and his retention. You know, it's like, hey, buddy, you know, you may be doing all of this, but maybe you're just skating by because your tests don't look so hot, you know. So study some more. It's It's no different with us and the Lord. He tests those things. I I know people say, I'm I'm not going to read through Job. Another one of those. What? Like, I won't go through Job. Why? Because I'm afraid that what happened to Job might happen to me. Uh, trust me, it, 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 that's one in a million. Okay? That was a special case for Job. Job was the only one that all of these things, all of these things could happen to him, and he still did not, you know, shake a fist at God. You and I would probably shake our fist at God. We could learn a lot from Job. Right? No, listen, we, we are not a superstitious people. We are not. We, we, we fear no one but the Lord, okay? And, and we learn from every single book of the Bible. We go through and we learn and we apply what we learn. And when we're tested, the thing that we're weak in is revealed. Those things that we're strong in are also revealed. And we're like, hey, hallelujah, all glory to God. It's by God's grace, right? And we keep going. But with all of this, the hornet's nest was, was stirred up. And, and really, our lesson here is don't fear. Don't worry. What the enemy means for destruction and harm will only serve to reveal the faithfulness of our God, and nothing compares to him. No one is greater. No one is more powerful. He is almighty God, and none can defeat him. And I can say that with great confidence, with 100% confidence. I know no one can defeat him. No one. Second Chronicles 14, 11 says, And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there's none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. That should be our cry. Let no man prevail against you. You are God. You're our God. 
Remember James 4.4, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the the world makes himself an enemy of God. I love what David Guzik said. He said, quote, if peace with the devil is more important to you than victory in the Lord, you will often be defeated and subjected. Close quote. So Saul had to declare throughout the land that he had defeated the Philistines and the people were called out to join Saul in Gilgal. So 3,000 in total joined. So verse 5, And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand of the seashore in multitude. They came up and encamped at Michmash to the east of Beth-Avon. When the men of Israel saw that they were in trouble, for the people were hard-pressed, the people hid themselves in caves and in holes and in rocks and in tombs and in cisterns. And some Hebrews crossed the fords of the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul was still at Gilgal. And all the people followed him. (coughs) Excuse me, trembling. Remember, there were 3,000 in total in Israel's army. 3,000. Well, the Philistines just in chariots had 6,000. I mean 30,000, right? Is that what we see here? So, yeah, 30,000 chariots. It'd be like saying, okay, so here we have 3,000 foot soldiers. We'll learn what they went to war with in just a few moments. That'll even put this in, in like, better perspective, okay? 3,000 foot soldiers. Oh, the enemy, by the way, they have 30,000 tanks. Okay? That, that's that's 30,000 tanks. Yeah, not only that, but they have 6,000 horsemen. That means they have 6,000, we'll just put it in our terms, 6,000 Humvees. Right? With 50 cows on top to just come at you. We're 3,000. Look with me at verse 20. Let's put things in perspective here. Verse 20. But every one of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his posture, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks and for and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goads. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people with Saul and Jonathan, but Saul and Jonathan, has his son had them. So I just want to read that just to kind of put things in perspective. You know what they had in hand? Picks and shovels. Against 30,000 tanks and 6,000 Humvees. That's all they had. It, it's like, okay, so we have, we, we have 3,022s. You know, 22 long rifles, maybe. Maybe a 9 millimeter handgun. You know, that, that's what they had. <clears throat> it kind of seemed like they were outnumbered. And, you know, so they ascended from the north. The Philistines ascended from the north. And they were numerous and strong. Imagine, I mean, maybe some of them said, oops. Right? This is way over. We, we are in way over our heads. But what did the Israelites do? Well, they ran. <laughs> they hid themselves wherever they could find a cave or a hole or a well or even a grave. 
Imagine that. And then some even ran across the Jordan River. I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I'm, I'm checking out. I'm, I'm crossing the Jordan River and, and I'm, I'm out. Right? Their knees were knocking with fear. And yet Jonathan was bold enough to come against the Philistines. But as we see here, many of the soldiers were not bold to stand with them when they saw what they were up against. Sometimes that's the case. You know, sometimes people initially are, are bold. Yeah, let's go do this. And then when they see, you know, what they're faced with, you know, a lot of them withdraw. They're like, I'm, I'm out. I know I said that, but I didn't realize what we were up against. If I would have only known, yeah, if you would have only known, you would have never said yes to begin with. That's why I think the Lord that the Lord never uh, gave me like from some foresight as far as like this is what you would be up against <laughs> in ministry because uh, I might have been one of those guys that like went across the Jordan. Hopefully not, but you know, there's just a lot. If the Lord would do that with you in your life, you may do the same thing. Just too much. Take one day at a time. Take the circumstances that you're in now and submit them to the Lord. But there were some who did stick with Saul and gathered there at Gilgal, but <clears throat> they were struck with fear in their hearts. It says here in uh, verse 7 that, that uh, the people followed him, but they were trembling. They were trembling. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that word, word self-control, it's, um, it, it's understanding that no matter what we're faced with and no matter how we're feeling, that we're disciplined enough to take full control of those feelings and emotions and submit them to the Lord and still follow through. This is courage. This is, by the way, this is, this is the definition of courage. Continuing to advance in the face of fear, no matter what comes against us, that we continue to advance no matter what we're faced with, no matter the difficulty of the circumstances. That Because courage isn't the absence of fear. It, it's, it's action in spite of the fear. You just keep going. So be a warrior because our God is a warrior and he is the commander of the Lord's army who never fails and no one can defeat. And God calls us to the fight. You know that? He calls us to the fight. He, he doesn't, he's not a God who retreats. He, he's a God who advances. The whole armor of God had no protection in the rear. Did you know, know that? No, no, no protection right there. Because the Lord wants us to advance. He doesn't want us to retreat. We need to be, God calls us to the fight. We need to be ready and prepared for the fight and to advance in the fight. Ephesians 6, 11 through 13 says this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can make your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this world's darkness, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. There's something very important there. It says, you know, we're, we're commanded to take up the full armor of God. And he says there, when the day of evil comes. It's not if, it's when. If you stir up the hornet's nest, evil will approach you, will confront you. What are you going to do in that day? Are you prepared for that? I pray you are. 
I pray you're standing strong with the Lord and you advance and, 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 you, and you go right through whatever it is that you're faced with. To God be the glory. So stand in advance, do not fear, and do not run. Verse 8, <clears throat> He, that is Saul, waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Let's stop there. So he waited. Uh, apparently Samuel told him, wait for me seven days. I'm, I'll be there. He waited seven days. Must have seemed like an eternity to Saul. Just north of him, we have this army. Um, so numerous that the, the, the foot soldiers just could not be counted. They were like, you know, sand on a seashore. Um, all these horsemen and chariots. and It's just like overwhelming. They're just right there. Seven days, just an eternity. But Saul was still willing to stand and fight at that point. He wasn't going anywhere. He was right there. He hadn't backed down, but he grew impatient. But Samuel had told him to wait for him in Gilgal to direct the sacrifices necessary before going into battle. And, and so at first he was fine. He was waiting. But he grew anxious. He was impatient. Again the army of the Philistines. As numerous as the sand on the seashore. Was before Saul. And he was just. And he just wanted to act. He just wanted to act. Let, let's, let's, do, let's do it now. Let's just go for it. It's like sometimes we see in these, um, these action movies. To where we see one guy just pull out guns from everywhere. It's bad. I'm just going in, guns are blazing, right? It's like I'm going to go down and just like a, what is it like, a, just, in, just in, a, in flames of glory, I don't know, you know, and just like we're just going to do this, right? I don't know what he was thinking, but at, at this point, he just wanted to go in and just, let's just do this. But Samuel was delayed in coming. By the way, that was no coincidence. No coincidence. Let me ask you this. What do you do in your time of waiting on the Lord? Do you grow impatient? Do you take matters into your own hands? Oh, we're inclined to do that. I have been there. I am always learning that lesson. You know, hopefully I'm using some more restraint as, as I, uh, you know, grow, grow up in the Lord. I, I feel like I'm still a child, you know, still trying to, okay, Lord, teach me again. What would you say again? You know, uh, because we're, we tend to try and take things into our own hands, you know, and, and do things in the flesh when the Lord is saying, no, son, just wait. Just wait. Why are you in such a hurry? I'm with you. There's something that you need to learn through this. Don't be anxious by the length of your wait, but simply trust that God is with you and he'll guard you and give you victory in due time. But in Saul's time of waiting, he was stressing out. He was just stressing out. In his wait, he grew anxious, and, and he was worried, and he was impatient. And he took matters into his own hands and offered the burnt offering himself. Like Samuel's not here to do it, so we need to do this. So let's do this. You know, bring me the, the, the offerings here. And, you know, and he offered them up. There's the burnt offerings right there. All right, it's done. Let's go. 
Let's go, let's go, let's go. Right? I wonder what the army was saying day in and day out. I wonder if they didn't add to this. You see, all these things we need to take into consideration. What were the 3,000 men saying? Come on, Saul. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're leading us. When are you going to act? You know, the, the sign of a true leader is that the person who with confidence acts and moves forward and leads us into battle. You know, what are we waiting for? Samuel, the, the prophet? Come on, you know. Let's go into battle. Let's do this. What were they saying? I wonder if they were putting stress on Saul to act and act now as they saw the Philistines assembled against them. And as if things weren't bad enough, Saul was seeing his army scatter. Some were falling out of their ranks and abandoning the fight before them. But one with the Lord is enough to defeat an army of any size. One. Saul's worry and anxiety and, and stress and impatience led him to do something that he wasn't authorized to do. He acted in haste. He was out of line and did something that only the priest could do. Offer sacrifices. We need to acknowledge and realize that nothing good comes out of acting out of worry, anxiety, stress, and impatience. Rest in Christ is hoping in Christ and knowing that he is faithful. So be faithful to exercise your trust in the Lord. He's faithful to his word. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. I love that. He can't go back on his word. Lord, you said this, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask according to your will, and I'm just going to wait. Because I know that this is true, and it'll come about. So that's what I'm going to pray right there. And I'm just going to wait. Verse 10 says, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So... I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Hmm. So here's his reasoning. Here's his excuse for why. So he was, he was trying to explain to, to Samuel why it was that he did what he did. Right? Well, well, well. As soon as Saul sacrifices, guess who shows up? Has something like that similar happened to you? You know, you, you do something, and you're like, oh, I should have waited like two more seconds. Just like a little while longer, and it, it, would, have, it would have all worked out. Yeah. Well, Saul explained himself to Samuel. He saw everything happening, and his circumstances around him led him to compromise and do what he wasn't supposed to do. Before the Philistines came against him, he wanted to seek the Lord's favor, quote-unquote, is what he was saying. And notice that Saul said that he, he forced himself and offered the burnt offering. I didn't want to do this, but I, I just I forced myself to do this very thing that I, I, I didn't want to do it, Samuel. I, I, did, I, didn't, I didn't want to do it, but, but man, my, my hand was forced. I just, I had to. Perhaps he did. 
but perhaps it was a spirit warring against his flesh, and his flesh went out to do. It went out to do what he shouldn't have done. Because sometimes when we have that internal conflict, it, it's not because you know we ought to allow the flesh to convince the spirit that it, it's okay. You know, not everything works out. You know, for good. You know, some things you just have to make happen. No. It's actually the spirit that should be winning out. You know, the spirit leads you in all truth, right? And so when you listen to the spirit, he'll lead you in that direction, in the right direction. So if there's that spiritual conflict, internal conflict, and it's spiritual, seek the Lord, seek his word, and do that which is according to the truth of God's word, because that's what the spirit is leading you into, leading us into. What Saul didn't realize is that God had kept them at Michmash for seven days, and he can keep them there for another seven days if necessary. That is the Philistines. Think about that. They were numerous. Can you imagine? They saw the Israelites, 3,000, and then they were scattering and all that. They're like, we can take them out right now. Let's go do it. But the Lord kept them there. Who was keeping them? The Lord was keeping them there. Seven days. Yeah. If he can keep them there for seven days, he can keep them there for another seven days. And another seven days. Another seven days. When Samuel asked Saul, what have you done? The right answer should have been, I have sinned against the Lord and offered what I shouldn't have. May the Lord have mercy on me and forgive me. But he didn't, did he? It's kind of like that, that guilty person that, oh, let me explain everything to you. You know, this, this, and this. And it's like, no, no, no. The right answer would have been, I've done wrong. I've sinned. Remember Nathan, when he came to David and pointed out his sin, when he realized that he was the man, he says, you're the man. He says, oh, I have sinned. I've sinned against the Lord. Now you're getting it, David. Now, this was the same opportunity that Saul had, but he didn't do that. He just gave excuses, reasons why he did what he did. That's what he gave to Samuel. It's a pattern with people who fail to trust God and wait on him. The blame game, the difficulty of the circumstances that I have been faced with, well, they were too much. You didn't, you, 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 whoever, didn't come and rescue me in time, in the time that I wanted you to come. You told me you, you didn't come, so it's all your fault. It's all entitlement. It's, it's self-centeredness. It's, it's all about me, myself, and I, Right? But this is what could have happened, we could say, if I didn't act. If I didn't do this thing right now, do you know the devastation that I could have experienced? The Lord says, no, you have no idea what was going to happen if you would have just waited on me and just trusted in me. Just one more moment. That's all it was. 2 Peter 5.9 says, Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Why is it that we think that our circumstances are so unique that no one else is experiencing them? Like, we're, we're it. We're it. I mean, the things that I'm being, uh, you know, faced with, you know, the, the difficulties, it's all me. And, and it, there's no one in the world that, that uh, is experiencing this one thing. No. <laughs> You're not special in that way. I'm not special in that way. 
It says here in 2 Peter 5, 9, hey, listen, the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Not just in the same city or the same county or the same region or the same state, but throughout the world, the whole world. There's people that are experiencing the same thing, the same kind of suffering. What you're experiencing is nothing unique, but Saul didn't respond respond with repentance and humility here. He gave excuses which did not serve to justify his actions. His excuses did not justify his actions. We need to always remember that. Our excuses, no matter if we are convinced of them, they don't justify our actions if they are sinful. Now, verse 13 says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him about 600 men. (laughs) 3,000 to 600. Hmm. So here we see God's judgment proclaimed by Samuel. He said, number one, you've done foolishly. So he called it as it was. Number one, your acts were foolish. Shouldn't have done that. Number two, they were foolish because, not just because of my opinion, because, but because you disobeyed God. That was why. They come together. The reason why it's foolishness is because you disobeyed the truth of God's word. You didn't act in wisdom. You didn't act with discernment. You acted foolishly. And even worse, because you knew what was true and you acted in direct opposition to it. That's not ignorance. That's rebellion. That's what that is. To know what is right and not do it, that's transgression. That's, I, I'm, I, I know what you told me to do, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Had Saul obeyed the command of God, God would have established his kingdom, he said, over Israel forever. But it will now be given over to a man after God's own heart. You see, God is full of grace and mercy, isn't he? And even though he forgives, he doesn't have to spare us of the consequences of our actions. And oftentimes we don't. As we sow, so shall we reap, right? We may be forgiven. I know there are many things in my, in my life that, that I've done wrong. And although I've been forgiven of those things because I've asked for forgiveness, I still reap the consequences. I still go through that. And I learn through that. I deserve that much more. So I'm, I'm fine with God's mercy, his grace. Thank you, God, for forgiving me. Yes, I have to deal with the, circ- the circumstances, the consequences. But yet, you know what? I, I know I'm forgiven. So I'll go through this and I'll keep my eyes on you. That's, that's what that should be there. And that's the kind of perspective we ought to have. Because he's, he doesn't have to spare us of our consequences, the consequences of our actions. Saul was a man after Israel's own heart. You know, as I was reading and studying this, I saw these comments, you know, that Saul was a, a, a man after Israel's, Israel's own heart. A man who was more interested in taking credit for his son's victory, which was earlier. He took victory, if, if you didn't notice that, he took victory over uh, the, you know, the, the accolades, the glory of the victory that his son had over the garrison of the Philistines. 
A man who desired the accolades that comes from the people. The prestige of the people. So he was a man after Israel's own heart. There are lessons here and there are consequences to disobedience to the commands of God. In this instance, it was replacement. Those were the consequences of Saul's disobedience. Replacement. That was proclaimed clearly to Saul by Samuel. We, we need to be aware of who has our hearts. Who has your heart? Who has your heart? Let me tell you this. If it's anyone other than the Lord, then it's in the wrong hands. I, I know in, in marriages, we love our spouses. We do. I love my wife. But I do not love her more than the Lord. If my heart is in her hands, I know it sounds romantic. I know, you know, it's like a, it's like a Hollywood movie, right? You know, you have my heart. And, you know, but, but you know, she, she is the love of my life here on earth. But the one who has my heart is the Lord. It, it, my heart is his. And, and I have to take it out of other people's hands and, and remember, give it back to him. No, 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 no. My heart is yours. It's yours. It's yours. It's not anyone else's. Because if it's any, in anyone else's hands, it's in the wrong hands. Even our spouse, even our children. It shouldn't be given like that to our, we love our children. Oh, we love them, right? We would die for them. I would die for you. Genuinely, I would die for you. But my heart is not in your hands. It's in the Lord's hands. The only way I, I could love you, the only way I could love my children the way the Lord has commanded me to, to love my children, the only way I could uh, love my wife as the Lord commands me to love my wife is if my heart is in His hands. That's where our heart should be. And then we'll be the best spouse. We'll be the best parent. We'll be the best friend. We'll, we'll be the best of all of those things. Why? Because he's directing our hearts, not them. Not them. A man after God's heart will be more concerned with God's will than his own will. And definitely concerned with God's will over the will of others. That's a man after God's own heart. Verse 15, let's continue. <clears throat> we'll overlap a bit. And... Um, Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal. The rest of the people went up after Saul to meet the army. They went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin. And Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, and the people who were present with them, stayed in Geba Benj Benjamin, but the Philistines encamped it in Michmash. And raiders came out of the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah and uh, to the land of Shual. Another company turned toward Beth Horon, and another company turned toward the border that looks down on the valley of Zeboim, toward the wilderness. So here, after the rebuke, after Samuel re rebuked Saul, Samuel left. He's like, I'm, I'm done. My work here is, is done. You offered the burnt offering. I told you that was wrong. You were foolish for doing that. Here are the consequences. It's been proclaimed to you. You have now been put on notice, you are being replaced. I'm out. And Samuel left. Right? And just at that time, the Philistines began to mobilize and prepare for an attack on Israel. So three separate companies took off in three separate directions. 
Saul started out with 3,000, now he's down to 600. When God allows our earthly resources to dwindle, do we remain faithful to wait on him? Sometimes, oh man, our earthly resources just dwindle, 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 dwindle. What do we do now? What do we trust in? Do we continue to trust in the Lord? How's your attitude when things start to be taken away here and there? How's your attitude? Do you start to worry, grow anxious? I have no doubt that this was testing Saul's faith. Let me remind you of a few things. Gideon's 300 new victory over the Midianites. Guess how many of the Midianites there was? Someone, anyone rem remember? Gideon's 300 had victory over 135,000. Remember I said one with the Lord is a majority? Can know victory over any number. Throw a number out there. Oh, yeah, that's too much for the Lord. No, that's not too much for the Lord. A million. Two million? Five million. What's too much for the Lord? Ten million. Nothing's too much for the Lord. Remember Shamgar? You guys don't remember Shamgar? He was a judge. He took an ox code, a, a bone, a bone, and he killed 600 Philistines, just one man. 600 with a bone, a, a bone, right? 600, that was one bad dude, right? But, but the Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. It, it's not like he was the, like, the world champion MMA fighter, he wasn't like that. Like, oh, of course we expected that from Shamgar, you know. No, it was because the Lord was with him. That's why he had victory. That's why he had victory. And there are so many other stories of great victories that God had through men who had faith in him. I wish I could go on and on, but because there's so much, I could expound on all of this. But I'm, I'm sorry, you know, we need to get through the Bible and, and I get through it as fast as I can and giving you enough to where you, you understand what we're going through. I get totally excited about going through this. I, I read another and I study another chapter and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, okay, we need to get through it tonight. And so we are, but there's so much. I can give you other instances of God's victory through people who simply sur surrendered themselves to the Lord. Look at Joseph. Joseph was a, was a man who was sold into slavery. He was thrown in a pit. Uh, his brothers had conspired against him to kill him. And he was, he, was, he was lifted up to a place to where he was actually used as the very person who brought his, and all the people, not, not just the Israelites, but everyone through a famine. What, what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good. You know, oh, so much. The only weapons found uh, as we continue, you know, because as if things couldn't get worse, we read this, uh, verse 19, let's just read it through and then we'll conclude. <clears throat> it says, now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel. For the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. Um, that's why they didn't have a blacksmith. But everyone of the Israelites went down to the Philistines to sharpen his posture, his mattock, his axe, or his sickle. And the charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares and for the mattocks, and a third of a shekel for sharpening the axes and for setting the goats. So on the day of the battle, there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people of Saul and Jonathan. But Saul and Jonathan, his son, had them. 
And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. So, as if things couldn't get worse. Here we have this. Here's what the Philistines had done to the Israelites. They confiscated all their weapons uh, because they wanted to keep them subservient to them and they wanted to eliminate the power to rise uh, of the people to rise up with any effectiveness against, against them. Let me put it into today's terms, if I may. The Philistines abolished the Second Amendment and took all, uh, all of their arms, all of them. Oh, why would you want to? You don't need them for hunting. We'll, we'll provide for you. Well, you know, you know, the Second Amendment, I know if a tyrannical government rises up, but there's no tyrannical government here. There's nothing to see here. There's nothing to see here. We're all for you. We're going to give you everything. Don't worry about it. You know, just go, here, here's your, here's your um, sickle, you know, and, and we're going to sharpen it for you. And they had control over it, so they wouldn't sharpen it too much, just enough to, you know, <clears throat> do a little work, but not, not too much. Um, here's a rake, and here's this, and here's that, and go, go do your work. Go do your work. That's what it is in today's terms. That's what the Philistines did to the Israelites, took everything away. The only people who had a, a couple 22s, you could say, is, uh, is basically Saul and Jonathan, his son. That was it. That was it. And why? Because they knew that if they kept that away from them, then they would remain subservient to them, and they wanted to eliminate their power to rise up against them with any effectiveness. That's what they wanted. Everyone else, well, picks and shovels for weapons. Let me ask you this. Could God still get the victory of the, over the Philistines even though they were numerous and had chariots and horses and a vast army and Israel only had 600 men and a couple swords and a bunch of rakes? Yep. Yes. I will put my bet on the Israelites because God is with them. Yes. Keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind. Keep that in your heart. Because when you feel like all you have in your hand is a rake, and what you see is before you is a vast army of horsemen and chariots and all kinds of ground soldiers, you know, the foot soldiers. Just know that that is no match for the God who is with you. No situation is too, too great for him to have victory over. Just stand with him. Don't run. Just stand with him. Stand confident. For he is your shield and he is your buckler. He is the one who gives you victory over your enemies. For he has promised that. Stand with him. Stand with him. So number one, do not fear. Number two, do not be anxious. Number three, the Lord desires to use someone who is after his own heart to lead his people. So be it. I pray, that, pray that's you and me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for Lord, this this time of study, this word of encouragement. Lord, may we learn from the lessons of Scripture. Learning your character and how faithful you are, how much you love us. May we learn to stand with you and never bow down to man. Always keeping our eyes fixed on you. I pray, Lord, that you would Bless each and every one of my brothers and sisters. No matter what they're going through, I pray, Lord, that we, you would remind them that you are with them. And then that um, I pray that you would give them encouragement to not give up, 
to keep advancing, um, to not be anxious, to not be worried, to not grow impatient, because they will do things in haste if they do. Uh, things that are out of order, that are according to the flesh, not according to the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. Oh, refresh us and encourage us by your word. May you help us exercise the faith that you've given to us. We trust in you. In Jesus' name.